At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength and conditioning and strength and conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum, and this is a very special podcast series we're about to kick off, getting to know our coaches. We're going to start off with Charlie Dixon. Charlie Dixon is a physical therapy student. He handles all of our pain and rehab consultations, getting them set up with Dr. Derek Miles or Dr. Michael Ray. He's also an IPF world champion in the 83 kilo junior division. He's very strong, very smart. And in this podcast, we're going to get to know Charlie just a little bit better. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Barbell Medicine Podcast. I'm here with Charlie Dixon. This is a special series where we're going to meet all the Barbell Medicine coaches and staff. Charlie, what's going on, man? Not much, man. I appreciate you bringing me on the show and looking forward to having a good conversation. Well, so, you know, normally if you've listened to some of the podcasts with Baraki, I always introduce him as the second most handsome doctor in North America. And I was going to try to make like a jab, you know, to try to make myself feel better about, uh, uh, about the muscularity that you have, you know, you know, just, I, but I couldn't. So you might be the most jacked physical therapist in North America. And I just, I have nothing to say about that other than I'm jelly. Uh, why don't, why don't you give, uh, give people a little background, uh, how old you are, where you're from and, uh, what you're doing now. Absolutely. So I am currently 23 years old. I grew up in a very rural rural part of uh, southwestern Virginia. And I think there was like 53 people in my graduating high school class. So just to kind of give you guys an idea. 53? Okay. I thought, see, I thought you were from Roanoke, but no, you're, you're from a much smaller town than that. Roanoke was considered like the big city from where I'm from. It's like an hour yeah. away from where I grew up. So yeah. that was like the reference point, right? When Christmas comes around, everyone goes to Reno. That's like New York City or something. So I, I think uh, that actually worked to my advantage because there wasn't really much to do growing up except for, you know, play sports and lift things. And uh, luckily I had two older brothers who were both heavily involved in sports and kind of laid the groundwork for me and uh, got me involved with wrestling early on and, uh, played football and uh, did wrestling all throughout high school. And that's really where I started to pick up weight training. And I uh, just fell in love with that process and uh, went to undergrad at Virginia Tech. And when I got there, I still, you know, I didn't have any desire to wrestle at the collegiate level. Um, I was just burnt out with it from doing it all throughout my childhood. So that's where I, I found powerlifting uh, through the internet. And uh, I signed up for a meet 
uh, did my first meet in 2014 and just fell in love with it. I've been doing it ever since. And uh, that's kind of how I met you in Austin um, at Nationals this past year. So it's that's kind of where I'm at. And um, yeah. So you never you didn't compete until 2014. Uh, that was your first powerlifting meet. How many years do you think that you had been lifting weights prior to that? So I was 18 years old when I did my first meet, and I started lifting when I was 12. Okay, and you, um, so I was, was in that, eighth grade. Yeah, would you think that was was that from football? Because I know you wrestled. You didn't play football though. I, I did play football. Oh, you did play football. Yeah. Oh, okay. So was that a football related thing? They're like, okay, we're going to get you guys in the weight room and get you guys started or, or was it more from your family that was yeah. like, oh, okay. So your older brothers were in the, in the gym and they were like, we'll bring Charlie fine. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of how it happened. I was, I was like 80, 85 pounds in eighth grade. So I was a really small kid. Uh, so I needed to get bigger. So they were like, yeah, let's, let's get you in the weight room. Uh, did your brothers or your dad or anybody else in your family compete in powerlifting? I just, I'm, I'm just curious about like how you ended up. I mean, Virginia tech, I think now actually has a powerlifting team or club or something like that. And obviously powerlifting has grown over the past, you know, uh, five years, especially, but back when you started, uh, you know, before that, yeah, you had to fight on the internet, but I'm just curious if anybody else in your family had like competed in powerlifting, uh, prior to you. Uh, so yeah, my, uh, brother, Steven, he's seven years older than me. He, uh, he did a few meets with me when I started competing, but, um, he, he, he was a, uh, green beret in the, the army. So that's kind of the route he took. And then my oldest brother was in the air force for 20 years. So, I mean, they were both very athletic and it's one of those things that they were really invested in powerlifting. I think they would do very well. Um, they just kind of went different paths. Yeah. I feel the same way about my brother. So he actually played real sports in high school. Like he ran track, he was a sprinter and, and he did the, the, the hurdles. And he also was a safety on the football team. He was like varsity I think from his sophomore year on, you know, he's actually an athlete. Uh, and, uh, I just race dirt bikes. Right. Like, so now he'll like text me. He's like, he'll be like, uh, yeah. So I think I'm going to start doing like belt spots and, you know, benching a little bit, just he's in the military, you know, and he's like, I just want to start lifting weights again. And I I'm fearful for the day that he's like, yeah, I'm going to start training for real because I think that he's just going to surpass me in anything that I've ever done with weights. Like if he wanted to, it's like the genetic, he got that. And, uh, I just had to try to make up for it by, uh, uh, by education. So no, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a smart guy too. He's a PA, but, uh, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, you, so you started 2014. Do you remember what, how you did at your first meet? I think I totaled 1400 pounds at 181. Um, this makes me sad, man. I mean, my first meet. So my first meet was in 2011. As a, I weighed 176 because that was before they switched the weight classes, right? Yeah. And then, I, yeah, I think I totaled 1340 or something like that. So you just you went in and you're like, at, how old were you? You're 18. Yeah, I was 18. Is that T? Is that T1? T3? I don't know. It's, I forget. I think I don't, it's T3. I don't know the T classes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I forget if they go up or down. Yeah. So it's T3 and you're like, yeah, casual 1400. I mean that without, those are all records. I assume in Virginia, what you did your first meet. Yeah. It was actually in uh, Kentucky because uh, I think Brandon Lilly hosted the meet and I was really big into like him and Dan Green at the time. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that meet for my first one. Oh, okay. Well, I'm still, sh yeah, I, it would be surprising if those weren't records for the teen division at the time. And, and the reason why I'm talking about all of these you know, records and Charlie's performance is because not long after your first meet, did you end up, you know, 
winning nationals and qualifying to go to worlds and subsequently winning worlds. So that was, that was, uh, your first national win. Do you remember, was that 2017 or did you actually win one of the nationals prior to that? Uh, so 2017 was Orlando. I got uh, a place second behind Russ, Russell or um, in the 83 class. And then, um, I did secure the junior world team spot for, uh, the following year in Canada. Yeah. And that's where I went on and competed. It was actually, uh, today, uh, June 11th last year that I went and, uh, was able to win. Yeah. So we have a, the 83 kilo junior world champion from 2018 and it's IPF worlds right now. So when you guys are listening to this, the IPF worlds will be wrapping up. Um, have you been watching any of the meet or like keeping tabs on any of the, any of the stuff that's going down? Yeah, I've been in and out. I, I've been pretty busy this past week, but, uh, I'm hoping to catch, you know, some of the, uh, 83s compete later in the week, like with, uh, Russell and Brett Gibbs, that'll be a good battle to watch. And, uh, there's some other good matchups in the 93 class and things like that. So I'll be watching. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Wilson. Yep. Dave Wilson will, will go into the deadlift in the 93 kilo class, probably, you know, 50 kilos down or something like that. And then <laughs> see if he can pull for gold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the American team this year is pretty stacked. Um, I know the masters, uh, have wrapped up and now they're in the women's and junior women's open and junior divisions. That's, that's, uh, what's been going on. And then the open men are going to start, I think on Friday. So I'll be curious to see how Russ does and how Dave does. And then, uh, Bryce Lewis, uh, I believe he's got to be in the in the 105 class. So I actually don't know because he'd been, you know, hurt. So I wasn't sure if he was going to make it, but it looks like his training is back online. So here's the question, though. Did you know that you were you secured the world spot when you at nationals, like right after you pulled your third deadlift? Also, I actually I think I I'm, I pulled my third deadlift, but I missed because I misgrooved a little bit. It was like I paused and the bar went down and I was able to like finish the lift, but I got red lighted. So, um, Sean Noriega, he was, uh, sort of the guy I was really competing against for that world team spot. And, uh, I think he had missed his third pull. So that's when I knew I had secured the, the spot on the team. That's really cool. Yeah. And so you secure the spot for 83 and then you basically have a whole year almost yep. to train <laughs> for worlds. Did, how many meets did you do between nationals and world? So nationals 2017 mm-hmm. was Orlando in October and then worlds 2018 was in June of 20. Uh, yeah. The next yeah. year, how many, did you do a bunch of meets between, or did you just kind of train for the, for the duration? I, I just trained that entire time. I, I didn't compete at all. And then, Take us through worlds. So I actually don't know your numbers offhand. I know that obviously you ended up winning. I, was it close at all, or did you go in there and just dominate? Uh, <laughs> I I can't remember. I, I totaled around sixteen seventy five. I think it was. I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I think it was like a six twenty eight squat, three eighty five bench, and then a six sixty six pull. Six sixty. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. Um. I can't remember off the top of my head what uh, the guy behind me was, but yeah, we kind of knew going into the deadlift, you know, as long as I go out and execute, we, we got it. So um, I just stayed focused on my process and usually I don't pay attention to what the other guys around me are doing. You know, it's when you're in those meets, you just have to focus on it, your, your process and go out and, and do your thing. So that's, that's what I was 
that's what I was doing. Yeah, probably probably the most interesting thing. So, okay, you win, you know, you win worlds, right? Which you're like, okay, well, I guess I've done all that there is to do as a junior <laughs> in, in powerlifting. And then you're like, okay, there's a, and raw nationals is about three months afterwards, right? So it's June and then uh, October. So like four, three or four months that you have to prepare. Did you know that you were going to move up a weight class? Is that always the plan or were you like, I'm sick of cutting? <laughs> it was a little bit of both. So it was actually the cutting that kind of influenced that decision. Uh, Cause I, I was walking around at like 195 and 197, somewhere in there and cutting down to 183 pounds, um, doing a water cut. And th those got pretty tough, um, you know, the past couple of years. So, um, I was just thinking long-term, it's probably going to be the best to move up a weight class, be able to, to eat a lot of food, uh, you know, get stronger and yeah. <laughs> right. So, and then how, how tall are you, Charlie? 5'11". 5'11". Yeah. So you're not a manlet, you know, you're like, full grown adult. Uh, well, so it's just, you know, it's interesting because 83 kilo class, you know, most people would not expect a guy who's 5'11 to one, carry as much muscle as you're carrying. And then two, put up these numbers at that height, you know, so for reference, Brett Gibbs is, you know, half a foot, he's six inches shorter than you are, you know, and Russ or he is, is, is as well, you know, they're, they're both, very strong, very well-muscled individuals, but they're just much, they're much shorter than you are. And so you as an 83 were like a giant, you know, you were like this, the starting center for the basketball <laughs> team. Um, but then, so, you know, four months after, uh, you did, you competed in a world at it's an 83 kilo class. The next weight class up is 93 kilos. So you moved up cause you didn't want to cut anymore and your numbers all jumped up. Yeah. So just to, so for the folks at home, so you squatted 285 kilos, which is, uh, yeah, like 618 or 616, whatever that number is in, uh, in pounds. I don't know offhand at worlds. And then four months later up a weight class, you squatted, uh, 655, mm -hmm. at, you know, which is a significant jump. And then you benched 17 and 17 and a half kilos more. So you bench 190. So four, uh, 418. And then you pulled 25 kilos more. You pulled 325, which is uh, seven, was it 727, something like yeah. that. So a really hefty pull there. And that's all within the span of four months of training. Now, the, the people at home are thinking, so this guy in four months was able to add, you know, 50 or 60 kilos almost to your total in, in four months, you know, how in the world do you think, do you attribute that to not having to do a water cut or do you attribute that to just pure strength improvements that you were able to make by adding body weight? I think a significant portion of that is not having to do a water cut. Yeah. I think that kind of skews the numbers a little bit. If you just look at the competition results, uh, because a lot of the, you know, there's numbers I hit at 93 in competition I was kind of, I was getting close to those numbers as an 83 in training. Cause you know, I was walking around like 197 pounds and things like that. So there was definitely a, you know, a pretty significant performance set when I would cut down, but it's, you know, you just have to ask yourself, is that trade off worth it? You know, when you're competing in a, a weight class. So uh, at the time it was, and, um, yeah, I think that's probably a big portion of it. And, you know, I, I just ate a lot of food. I got some good sleep and I just felt great, man. In that four month span. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of people will ask like, hey, should I cut down to be more competitive or should I stay at the mm. current weight class or should I move up? And at the level that you're at and the level of, you know, of an actual competitive powerlifter, that's a pretty complex decision because you have to know what your competition is also totaling, right? So it's like yeah. – so uh, for for instance, um, when Leah, uh, she was cutting down to 63 kilos. She's 72 now, um, but the, she competed as a 63 to qualify for nationals, and then we were aiming for 63, the 63 class for uh, nationals that year. And uh, if she would have competed as a 63, Jennifer Thompson would have taken the master's spot as a 63 kilo lifter for worlds because her total was much higher, right? But mm-hmm. because Leah competed as a 72 at nationals that year, she actually got the 72 nomination for the master's division. So even if – even though that her Wilk score would have been higher and, you know, she would have cut down and, and totaled, you know, about close to the same, she would be less competitive relative to her competition. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so you, you know, moving up, you're like, well, who's in the 93 kilo class? And you're like, all right, David Ricks is there. Uh, Jesse Norris is suspended, <laughs> you know, like uh, Dave Wilson, you know, put together the meat of his life for, for that, uh, for that 2018 nationals. But I still, I don't remember what was your overall placing as, as an open competitor. Were you, were you top five? Sure. Fifth. Yeah. Yep. And, and then as the, as a, a junior, your second to uh, Ashton Roscoe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But Ashton, did he move up or did he decide not to compete? Yeah, he had a year suspension uh, from the IPF because I think he did uh, a big USPA meet, one of those money meets, uh, I think, early last year. Oh, I see. Uh, so he'll be eligible this year. Yeah, he, he competed at the, U, at the USAPL Collegiate uh, Nationals as a 105. Uh, I was just curious. Yeah. yeah, but I guess they the IPF wouldn't let him compete at Worlds because he had served that suspension. So. All in all, mm-hmm. it looks like your uh, increase in body weight, or at least not having to cut, has significantly improved your performance. And it, it sounded like that you were hitting these numbers as a when you were quote unquote an eighty three. But then, since you didn't have to cut, uh, you were actually able to demonstrate that on the platform. I actually had a similar experience. I was uh, <laughs> so you and I are about the same height, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I tell people I'm five ten and a half. This is a half inch. It matters. Okay. And it took me probably three bad meets in a row before I finally like gave in to moving up a weight class. Like I remember I would be missing my third attempt squat and bench because I was like, these are the numbers that I want to hit. And these are what I hit in training, but cutting down to 181 and then 183 was just too much. Cause I was like similar to you walking around at 195, uh, you know, to, to 198. And then when I moved up the very first meet, I had a PR total like of like 40 kilos. And then the next meet yeah. after that, I had another 40 kilos. I mean, I hit my best total, uh, was 1795, which I actually don't know what it is in, in kilos after I moved up. Uh, and then, so now the next logical question is, well, are you going to keep moving up? And so for me, no, <laughs> because, well, because it's just not worth, I don't compete enough and at a high enough level where adding weight, body weight, really matters that much to me. I just kind of enjoy training and, you know, I'm going to compete and as a, you know, kind of a veteran kind of guy, I'm not a master's yet, you know, but I'm getting there. It's going to happen. And, uh, I just, the question to you is now you're not going to be a junior anymore. Do you think that you're going to move up to the one Oh fives or you're just going to try to stay as a 93 kilo lifter for a little bit, a little bit longer for the foreseeable future. I definitely see myself at 93 for a while. 
I'm, I'm kind of stuck at 205 pounds. You know, I try to eat 4,500 calories a day or so, and it's a struggle, man. I, I don't think I can make it up to 105, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it certainly takes some time. I mean, one of the – we talk about, like, how fast you can actually gain muscle mass in our seminars, like, all the time. And, and people have this – strange view of how easy it is to add lean body mass. It's, it's a process and it takes a while in addition to like having the will to eat the food. Right. So it's not like you're trying to go up to one Oh five in a month. That's like a year process or longer, you know, especially at, at your level. So it's yeah, I think staying at the 93 kilo class and trying to fill it out. And then at some point you'll, you'll have gained enough lean body mass where the cut becomes, uh, uncomfortable. And then you're like, well, maybe I'll just go up to one Oh five. If you want to, I mean, you, it, if, yeah. you, if your numbers aren't trending up and you just keep gaining weight, then that's a totally different decision. It, w- it would be difficult to imagine though, that your numbers wouldn't go up, uh, as you gained body weight. But, and I, I would want to see you squat, you know, three twenty or something like that. Like that would be cool. <laughs> but, uh, the one, the one Oh five class is no joke. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's just moving up a weight class may, may not make you more competitive, even if you're lifting more weight. So it seems like your numbers are, are pretty close to where they would need to be as a, as a 93 lifter. Um, yeah. Now you just had an injury. Uh, mm-hmm. it was, was it your groin or the, an adductor that you're, uh, you're coming back from? Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a groin. And then how, so you were training and then take us through the process, like what happened, and like, did you feel it immediately or was it like you woke up one day and you're like, ow, this feels abnormal? Like what, 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 what happened? So I've actually, uh, entered the same area as probably like 2015 or 2016. It was a, a growing strain. It kind of resolved in a few months. Uh, so when I go through a peaking process, that area will kind of flare up from time to time. And, uh, I was peaking for the Arnold in uh, the beginning of March. And I think, it was like February 5th or something like that, the first or second week of February. And uh, I, I got really sick. Um, I got like a stomach flu or something. I was just couldn't keep anything down. And, uh, you know, I, I took a, a day off from training. And then the following day, you know, it was supposed to be a heavy day. So I just went in and without any expectations, like I'm going to do what I can. And I was supposed to work up to a single at an eight. And I think I got to, uh, it was around six fifteen or so. And I, I watched the, uh, you know, footage to see how fast the bar moved and everything. And it, it was one of those like coin flips. It's like, eh, maybe that was an eight, maybe not. You know, I, I really didn't feel too great. And, uh, the groin was already kind of flared up and, uh, I just went with the aggressive decision there. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, you know, throw on six forty five or six thirty five. I can't remember the exact number. It was 655 and, uh, unrack it and I go down and as soon as I start coming out of the hole, I feel this pop in my adductor and I immediately dumped the weight and, uh, you know, I had the safety pin set. So, uh, nothing bad happened there, but I, the area just started swelling. I could barely move my leg and, uh, you know, I, I was supposed to bench afterwards. I couldn't even get in a bench press position. And, uh, that's, you know, I just, I, I knew something was wrong. <laughs> and so immediately, like what's going through your brain? Like, what are you, you know, feeling? Because I, I think most people, particularly if they've been either active, athletic or training one of those things, you know, long enough, 
you've had some injury that like scares you, you know, like, so, so, so for me, um, I had this, uh, uh, hip thing. Um, I had been squatting on an uneven surface. This, I'm just talking about this in retrospect because I didn't know it at the time, but every time I would descend below parallel, it just literally started one day. I felt this like sharp searing pain in my left hip. And I was like, that's abnormal. And then finally, I remember I, I was supposed to squat, uh, like heavy sets of six. Uh, and I think I had like 440 on the bar and I went down for one, the first rep and it's supposed to be fine, but it felt like a 10 out of 10 and I racked it and I was like, oh, my left hip is like really gnarly. And then I remember trying to like cross my legs. I was like trying to tighten my shoe and I was like, oh, oh God, ow, ow, ow. And I was like, okay, this is the end. This is where it ends. Like, right, right. <laughs> I'm going to die with my weightlifting shoes on from like acute musculoskeletal pain. <laughs> this is... <laughs> I mean, what was going through your head at the time? I, I guess you had already felt this before in 2015. I mean, did you identify it immediately or were you like, this is new, this is bad, I need help? It, it, it was kind of new. It scared me a little bit because it felt like my lower ab was involved with it too. Um, like if I would contract my lower abs, I could feel that area. So, um, you know, you can be super educated about pain and have, you know, that knowledge, but when you're actually in the moment, like your mind has a way of messing with you. And, uh, it's, it's very scary when you're in the moment. And, uh, thankfully, you know, I work under Dr. Michael Ray and, uh, Derek miles. So, uh, I texted them and, uh, you know, they just asked me, is there any like, you know, palpable mass or anything like that? I was like, no. And, uh, there wasn't any bruising, but that actually came in over the next few days. And, um, you know, that's when, uh, I talked with Mike and, uh, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion. It's probably not a good idea to try to push through this and, uh, you know, continue peaking and try to compete because I could barely squat, you know, an empty bar at the time. And, uh, yeah, so decided to pull out and start the recovery process. Yeah. It, was that a markedly different experience though, than what you went through in 2015? Because you'd had this before. And so I'm just trying to figure it like to con- compare and contrast, you know, the two different experiences. It sounds like now, you know, you had the, a similar injury and the same initial reaction. And then you're like, OK, I'm going to consult these experts who I trust. And I have you at the time, you know, now you have more education about pain science and like what's going on. Did the overall experience change for like as far as what you did and how you thought about it going forward? I was definitely a lot more composed and calm. I feel like that's one of the biggest benefits. Like if I have any type of tweak or even in that scenario, I'm, I'm just very confident that I can handle the situation and get through it. And I think that's the biggest difference. Whereas before like 2015, you know, I experienced a strain. There's a lot of anxiety because you just don't know like what just happened. You don't know what to do about it. You don't know who to trust, who to go see. And, um, it can be very, very nerve wracking. Yeah. I mean, yes. It, it, so it's funny uh, that you say that because when I was going through this hip thing in 2016, I, I was like right on the edge the, of learning what I feel uh, I could characterize as like the bulk of this pain science stuff. Like I had already been exposed to it a number of times, but it, it hadn't really like sunk in to where I could, you know, talk about it and talk, teach other people about it and like internalize it. It was just, it was in my brain, but I couldn't 
I couldn't bring it to the forefront. And so I remember I'd, I, after that experience with trying to tighten my shoes, <laughs> I, I, I was on an inpatient rotation. I ended up getting an MRI um, and the radiologist who read it was like, yeah, you've got bilaterally torn hip labrums, you know, but it's probably been, they've probably been torn for a long time. This is not an unusual finding. You just got to figure out why you're symptomatic. And I was like, huh. And, and it, that like experience kind of set me down this rabbit hole of learning more about that particular condition and, and subsequently pain science, uh, relating to that and, and recovery and rehab. And, uh, so instead of like, I don't know, thinking that there's something mechanically wrong and that's why I'm having this pain and I need to fix that. And if I ever want to be pain-free again, I really just altered my training and it went away and I was able to actually set an all-time PR on my squat. That's uh, awesome. Like, yeah, like five months later, which was cool, yeah. right? But if that would have happened 2013, I probably would have had surgery. Yeah. Or, or at least been seeking surgery, like, uh, these labrums are torn, got to get them fixed. And, and for some people, that's the right management, you know, depending on their indications and symptoms and everything else, but not, not the majority of folks, it just really depends. And so for me, that would have been, I probably would have been worse post-operatively and my pain might not have been any better, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that like after having learned all this stuff and been exposed to it a number of times, and you're able to actually like internalize it, that the pain experience is markedly different. Uh, Austin and I text back and forth, like, especially if we're getting close to a competition, almost routinely, like a few weeks out, what you'll have a back tweak, you know, mm -hmm. like that ah, tweak my back, guess I'm about ready to PR then. This <laughs> 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 is like a, this is like a normal thing. Um, so how many months, I forget how long ago this, the, you had this adductor issue that the, it was what, five months ago, yeah, six months ago, maybe it was a uh, beginning of February. Okay. And so, and, and now this is June. Uh, so how far, like, are you back to hundred percent now, or are you past where you were leading up to that? Or where, where's your training at now? So I haven't really tested, uh, you know, my, like my best triple in the gym is uh, 635 on the squat. And, uh, I had 600 for a double last week and moved really well. I think the strength is there. Like, I think I'm back to baseline. I think it's just a matter of building up to those workloads again. Uh, you know, not only physically, but also like, you know, building that confidence leading into it and getting those small wins and not having these huge spikes. Yeah. Like the mental approach. Like I feel confident that if I take six sixteen out of the rack and I'm gonna do a triple that not only do I have the, you know, physical force production, but I I'm going to keep pushing through it and it, I'm going to be fine. And uh, yeah. And I think that's just going to come with probably more, just more training. You wrote an excellent article, by the way. So we'll link this in the show notes, the recovery, recovering from an injury, uh, now when you wrote that, that, so we published that in April, but you were, you know, six weeks into this issue. Like how cathartic was it to write that? You're like, <laughs> I'm, I'm actively experiencing all of these things right now. Uh, when you were writing that, do you, did you feel like that it actually helped your process? Yeah, that's all I would think about. Like I would be laying in bed and I just like thinking about different articles I'm going to read in the morning. And sometimes I would just wake up and just read Like I was obsessed in that, you know, two, three months span or however long it was, uh, with just learning more about it and how to, um, approach the situation. And I was also actively doing the things I was writing about in the gym on the day to day basis. So it all just kind of coincided. And, uh, it was very cathartic. Yep. That was a very similar experience. Like I just, 
I, I, I don't think that I would have ever had the drive to read as much about like hip impingement, quote unquote, you know, cause we don't, we don't really like to diagnose people with that anymore. And like FAI and labral tears in the hip and like, you know, the surgical indications versus non-surgical management. I don't think I would have gone down that rabbit hole had I not been personally affected by it. I mean, I, I suppose if I had a client who was dealing with that, that I probably would have gone in a little, a little deeper, but it would be hard to say like that I would have done as deep of a dive as I did, had I not been personally affected. So it's, it's interesting how you get motivated to do that. Cause you're like, I need to know everything about this. So that way I can put it behind me. Um, now you're almost back. You're, you're, you're getting there. I know, I know that, uh, training's going well. Do you have a meet coming up or like, what's the next, uh, what's next for the, the lifter, Charlie Dixon? <laughs> uh, so the next meet's going to be raw nationals in Chicago and that'll be in October. So I still got a few months to go. Cool. That'll be fun. Yeah. We'll have a big, uh, barbell medicine squad rolling through Chi town. That'll be uh, nice to see you do battle there. Um, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, school and physical therapy and your experience. Mm-hmm. So you're in your final year of PT school, right? Yep. I'm actually uh, doing my second clinical rotation for the summer in a uh, school nursing facility. And then we start our last uh, semester of coursework in the fall. Okay, nice. So what's been your experience? I mean, I, I don't, I'm just trying to get the sense of things like you met Austin and I, and then became more aware of what we were doing. And then also uh, with Derek Miles and Michael Ray were, you know, putting out there content wise with respect to pain science. What's been your experience, like bringing that to physical therapy education? Like, are you getting the same sort of education in PT school that Mike and Derek are like writing about, or are there a lot of conflicting ideas? <laughs> um, there, there's definitely a lot of conflicting ideas and, you know, I don't want to, you know, bash PT school. I think with PT school, they, their goal is to make you a generalist. And, you know, I, I always, you know, I was thinking going in, you know, they're going to teach me everything I need to know about like working with athletes and periodization and, you know, strength training and all this other stuff. And you really don't get too much of that. And, you know, it's, it's not good or bad. It just is. And there's going to be a lot of things. If uh, there are any students listening to this, that, you know, you go through school, there's going to be a lot of things you disagree with. And, you know, that's, that's okay. And I think it's good to kind of get an idea of the narratives that are being perpetuated out there. And I think it can inspire you to do your own research and kind of look into this stuff a little bit further. And that's certainly, uh, what it's done for me. And I think having mentors like Derek and Michael, um, have helped tremendously to help guide the path with, uh, different resources and things like that. And, uh, it's been, it's been awesome working with those guys. Yeah, I actually think I have a different perspective of medical school education now being so far removed from it. Like, because when I was going through it, I was angry on a daily basis. I'm just like, I can't believe you guys are teaching us this stuff. And like, where's the exercise science and where's the nutrition, uh, you know, stuff and, and you know, adherence uh, discussion and like all these different counseling techniques about lifestyle change. Like, where's that stuff at? I was so angry, you know, Um but now looking back, I have a greater appreciation for what they were trying to do. They're, they're trying to give you skills, like a skill set for not only diagnosing medical problems, but a skill set for thinking, right? Like 
it, it's not just you finish school and that's it. You have all the knowledge and now go out into the world. It's more like you now have a set of skills for you to like critically evaluate research, critically evaluate claims, critically evaluate, uh, you know, patient narratives and, and, and things of that nature so that you can make your own clinical decisions. It's just, it's preparing you for that rather than giving you all like this finite amount of knowledge. So I, I think if I could go back in time, I would be less angry. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> I, I, I'd also, I'd also try to have a little bit more of an open mind as far as other people's perspectives on this stuff and try to kind of listen to where they were coming from and like why they had the ideas they they did, you know, even about stuff that we, we know to be maybe not supported by evidence, you know, uh, particularly with respect to exercise and nutrition, lifestyle change and, and stuff, stuff, things of that nature. Um, and I also would, would talk, uh, I, I, w- I would speak less negatively <laughs> about physical therapy school. Well, one, cause I'd never have been through it. And, and then two, if you, if you look at this graduate level education through the lens of like, it's giving you a set of skills to like prepare you to read research and again, make your own clinical decisions and critically evaluate things, teach you how to think in a way, then PT school is not bad. It, it's just, you have to be willing to do your own legwork after you graduate and, and while you're in school too, you know, if, if you never would have met Mike and Derek or became aware of what they're doing, I think maybe your experience would be, it'd be, it'd be flavored a little differently. You know, you, it'd be difficult to, to, uh, have the sort of cri- uh, critical eye towards what's, what you're being taught. But at the same time, I, I think if we had this conversation 10 years from now, you would have a totally different perspective of what was actually taught to you at PT school and how that jives with your, or jives with your, uh, uh, clinical experience. So, here's, here's what I want to know. How many times do you have this like (laughs) angry response to something that one of your preceptors is saying about either patient management or like indications for certain interventions? Like, do you find yourself butting heads a lot with your preceptors on, on things like that? I bite my tongue quite a bit. There's a lot of things I, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things I just kind of smile and nod my head. You know what I mean? Cause a lot of the things they teach, they're very grounded in and it, you know, just from kind of reading them, you know, being, being observant, you, you can kind of tell if you did bring it up in the middle of class, it probably wouldn't go anywhere. And, you know, they're trying to teach and get through all this material. So, you know, I, I definitely find myself getting uh, triggered, so to speak, uh, quite a bit. But you know, you just gotta you gotta roll with it, and uh, I I try to use that frustration and go and study and learn more on my own. And uh, I don't think you need to be super critical of uh, professors or anything. I think the best way to go about it is to do it outside of class. Um, you know, go to their office hours, have a discussion with them. You know, you don't have to attack them. I think you can just ask some questions and see what their perspective is on things. And uh, you can kind of get an idea if they're open-minded to different ideas or if they're not. And if they're not, that's okay. Just, uh, you know, move on. Right. That, I think that's actually uh, very, uh, you put it very uh, elegantly that, you know, you, if they don't have an open mind and, you know, you can just move on with your life. But at the same time, 
you yourself or the student has to have an open mind too. I mean, you're just, you're, you're, you're getting all this knowledge that you're paying for, you know, this education. Um, and you're just getting different perspectives, which is great because it, again, it prepares you to sort of, uh, interpret research and, and do your own sort of self-study. So if you had to do everything all over again, would you go to PT school again? Like if you could go back uh, a couple of years or would you, would you do something different? I'd, I'd go to PT school again, man. It uh, led me to where I'm at right now. And, uh, I'm very fortunate to be in this position that I'm in. So it's, it's something I haven't really thought about too much though. Well, some people were like, Oh, I would go to, I would go to medical school or I would, you know, do this other thing, you know? And, and I, I'm always just curious that, you know, people after it's, it's like, you've been, uh, you know, unplugged from the matrix and you're like, okay, so now, now I see that there's a, this huge paradigm shift in the way I'm thinking about things. So would I do it again? Or, uh, you know, and, and it sounds like you have, have had a pretty positive experience though in, in, in your education process so far. So maybe, maybe that's not the same for you, but I do, uh, you know, I've talked to a number of, of people even who either have gone through like chiropractic school or PG school who are like, yeah, I probably would have done something differently if I, yeah, that, that makes sense. Not, not for you, not for Charlie though. I, I'm one of those people, like, I don't like to think about, you know, what if I could have done this or this? I just kind of, you know, there it's out of my control now. I, I'm just going to focus on what's right in front of me and do the best that I can with it. Yeah, that's a good attitude to have. So Charlie is going to be, after he graduates, he's going to, again, be helping uh, do some of the pain and rehab consult work uh, with Barbell Medicine. That's one of our, uh, one of the arms that we have, like services that we offer. Um I know you've been interacting with Derek and Mike a bunch on this. What's your general experience of, of, or general impression of, of the people who go through that process? His, the, you know, I, I have minimal contact with these folks directly. Uh, what, what was happening mm-hmm. is that Austin and I were doing a lot of this stuff and we realized how much time it was taking and we're like, we need help, which is, you know, why Derek and Mike, uh, are, are doing taking to have taken over that particular, uh, arm of, of the business. What's been your general impression of people's experience going through that? They come in, they have a bunch of pain. They need like specific advice. Most people do, uh, pretty well. And, and, and as they, when they go through it, or is it, uh, uh, one of those things where people have already done their own sort of rehab and then are just looking for like assurance. I, I think there's a, Derek and Mike could probably speak better to this, but in the, the consultations I've observed, like there's definitely a combination of both. So you have people who have tried to, you know, they're very familiar with barbell medicine. They've, you know, they try to reduce load and make these training modifications. They're still having issues. And then, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I tried all this stuff. I, I need some more guidance and then they'll bring on Mike or Derek to help them out. And then you have people who, you know, they experience like a low back tweak or a very, you know, sudden acute injury and they're, they're scared. They're very fearful. They may have went to a healthcare provider that told them not to ever squat again or lift weights again, or, you know, their back will explode or something like that. So, you know, in the consultations, it's really, you know, Mike or Mike, Michael or Derek, they'll work them through those issues and try to reframe it and to reframe, you know, the pain experience for them, uh, to break down those barriers to movement, to get them back to doing the things that they want to do again. And I think they do a very good job of explaining that and relating to people. And, uh, I think it's, it's been very helpful for the the clients that have worked with them. Yeah. All the feedback that I've gotten has been 
very, very good, uh, which prompted me to look at it a little closer because I was like, hey, look, if all this feedback's positive, I got to be missing something. So I'm going to take a deep dive here and see, see what's going on. But yeah, it, it's, uh, that's, that's been my impression as well. Um, I think the, the cool thing is we have you know, these professionals that are so experienced in getting people back to normal activity that there's not like this sense of dread in the provider. So, so for instance, when I was working in the clinic, you know, during residency and somebody came in for a musculoskeletal issue, I know that I only have 15 minutes with them, right. Or 20 minutes. And it's like, okay, well, I want to, you know, have this conversation with you and try to figure out like what you know about this particular issue that you're having and give you some options when you go home, but I don't have enough time to do it in all this one setting. And then if I make a follow-up appointment for you to come in in a week, now I'm overbooked. And I, so what, what do you do? And I think you really do have to have that prolonged sort of consultation and then uh, wrap, you know, uh, a follow-up that's where people are available to, to kind of take people through this journey. And uh, it's a, it's a really good service that I, I could be more happy. It's, people, people are doing well. And I, I really am glad that we have this and I'm glad that we have you, Charlie, cause you're, you know, you're going to be such a stud when you're, when you're, when you're graduate, when you, when you've graduated and you're, you're ready to do this. Uh, so where can people find out more about you? You got, you're on Instagram, the Charlie underscore Barbell Medicine. Uh, do you have your own website? Uh, just relegated to, uh, the Barbell Medicine website and, uh, Instagram. Those are really the, the two main places you can find me. And then, uh, my email is charlie at barbellmedicine.com. Cool. So if you guys want to reach out to Charlie, you're interested in uh, getting some more information about him, you can contact him through Instagram or his email or, you know, slide into the, uh, the old DMs and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll set you guys up. Uh, Charlie, thanks so much for joining us here on the Barbell Medicine Podcast. You've been great. And uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, see what you do at Raw Nationals in 2019. Sounds good, man. Thanks again for bringing me on. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. Thanks for listening to this very special episode of the Barbell Medicine Podcast, where we bring modern medicine to strength conditioning and strength conditioning to modern medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jordan Feigenbaum. If you're listening on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and a review. really helps get the word out about our podcast, helps spread the word of Barbell Medicine, direct folks to our podcast. We have a lot more coming from this series, including one-on-one interviews with all of our coaches. So stay tuned for that. And thanks again for listening. See you. It's great.